Hello, I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S, IAN.com at Lassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast, Ringer C. I'm Misak Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? Uh, I'm all right, thanks, man. How are you? I am very well. I am back in the UK, which is extraordinary. First time in a year and a half. Oh no, jet setting. Well, it's strange just even landing in the UK was so surreal. Coming through customs because of the COVID restrictions, it felt like coming through three borders instead of one. Weirdly enough, it was a strangely tense experience at border control. And I say that as someone who's had his fair share of strangely tense experiences. But yeah, how are you doing? Uh, I'm all right, man. Thanks. I spent most of the weekend under a blanket on the sofa recovering from my second COVID jab. Wow. First day was groggy. Second day was pretty groggy and then got a lot better. And then woke up on the third morning, Sunday morning. It was just like, oh my God. Wow. You got the, you got the Pfizer, was it? I did. Yeah. But I feel okay now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was great because it was supposed to catch up with some friends that I unfortunately missed, but, you know, I'll have to go and see them next time. But yeah, um, but yeah man, um, let's do some admin because let's we're recording it. this actually late Sunday night because of your promo tour with Righty this week. Yeah, striking out. Yeah, very excited about that. Check Okwonga on Twitter and you'll see all of the promo or the info if you're in the UK. You might be able to catch him at Righty, get a book, get it signed. Yeah, we're doing a signing on Friday, actually. So if you fancy coming down, whereabouts Shoreditch. In London, Shoreditch. Yeah? yeah, Shoreditch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So come down if you're around. Nice. Uh, I think classic football shirts. What time? Uh, between five and seven. Yep. So 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, you have to just sign up for a slot, come along. Got lots of family coming down, lots of family and friends. <laughs> Finally, he's done something with himself. <laughs> Stop it. God, I can't be there. I'm totally just heckle you from the side. <laughs> it's three straight overs. <laughs> that's, that's the family's job, to be honest. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> Let's do some admin quick. Yeah. Obviously, most important admin. Hope everyone's staying safe and well. Getting vaccinated, if you can. You had a piece going up on The Ringer about Mbappe. I did, yes. Ringer.com forward slash soccer. Yeah, about Mbappe choosing his path. If it is Real, why he would go there, what that would do to PSG, what they do for Real, um, mm. and how much they actually need him, more than they may let on publicly because they really do. So yeah. Uh, we'll touch on Mbappe a little bit later because we'll be talking about PSG. Other admin, Stadio Watch, just play this on Spotify if you want to check all of the tunes that we play out with each episode. 
Search for Stadio Outros on Spotify and the latest one is at the top. And I think that's it for the admin. So today we're going to talk about Liverpool-Chelsea. We're going to touch on a couple of other bits in the Premier League and we'll touch on Messi's debut for PSG. Maybe have a quick look to Serie A. Yeah, that looked quite spicy this week. Serie A has been brilliant already this season. Really has, yeah. We'll talk a little bit about the announcement of Cristiano Ronaldo returning to Manchester United. A little disclaimer before we get on. There may be a couple of content warnings that pop up. Yeah. We will drop content warnings before we mention it. So you can skip on a little bit if you want to skip that part. But just thought I'd mention it at the top of the show just to give people a heads up. Um, So yeah, let's go to the football after this. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, let's go to Anfield because this was, do you know what? I was under my little blanket just watching in awe at that first half. Oh my God, it was thrilling, wasn't it? It was absolutely- The first half was amazing. Do you remember what it reminded me of? And I think I say this every time there's a game like this again, but do you remember- Germany, Italy. No Man City, Liverpool at the Etihad. Oh, the 2-1. Oh my God, that's still- Oh God. One of the most intense games of football I think I've ever seen. Anyway, let's talk about Anfield. Yes, yes. Similar energy. Chelsea taking the lead after 22 minutes thanks to a Kai Harvard's header. Oh my God. Kind of reminded me of like a heading equivalent, even though it wasn't a fadeaway, but kind of like a fadeaway. It felt like a bicycle kick for me, actually. This was, this had the, this is the technical difficulty, difficulty of a bicycle kick. Like in terms of the, the amount you have to do and move and the angle, that into with a bicycle kick, you hit it and then you look over your shoulder to see if you've executed it right. Mm. But all, but your body position has to be absolutely nailed on. Like before you make the contact, with your, as, with Harvest with his head, you have to know exactly the angle, the line, the trajectory. It's basically geometry at this point. The geometry of Harvest's header was unbelievable. And for it to beat a keeper of Allison's quality, he had to basically place the ball two inches clear of Allison for it to beat him. And he found exactly the spot. I mean, it was an astonishing piece of technique. And the thing about Kai Harvest is there's a weird thing he has. It's actually a funny, similar, as a parallel with Mason Mount. Every couple of games, Mason Mount makes a leap forward, either tactically or technically. He does something you're like, wow, you can do that as well. And Harvard's does it in different ways. Harvard's evolves in different ways. So he'll, he'll find space in a different way, or he'll make a run, or he'll make a pass, or he'll score a goal. And you're like, oh my God, like every couple of games you're reminded that Kai Harvard's peak is nowhere in sight. Does that make sense? Like just mm-hmm. when you think you've seen it, you're like, oh no, it's gone up again. Yeah. I mean, he's an, he's an amazing footballer. And on a weekend where... Um, Gio Reyna broke, well, it's not really a record, but became the youngest player to make 50 Bundesliga appearances, breaking mm. the previous owner of that 
record which was Kai Havertz it's easy to forget how young Kai Havertz is still yes yes because he already feels like a such an established name it's kind of it's very similar to Raheem Sterling actually like people you know when you just, <laughs> just Raheem feels like he's been around forever yeah and he's still what 26 but isn't it amazing how Kai Havertz basically came to Germany came from Germany as we felt effectively maybe a year early from a Leverkusen team so not even from a team that was actually like in regular contention mm. And then just adjusted so superbly. I mean, it's kind of incredible if you think about it, given the teething period and all the rest of it. So yeah, Harvard's, and not just the goal, but just did so many brilliant things in that first half. Harvey Elliott as well, another young player who was superb for Liverpool. So yeah, there was there were some great individual performances throughout this game, which is always the mark. So it wasn't just tactically superb, but players stepped up. And Golo Kante just, <laughs> I was looking at and thinking, he's basically playing a midfield three at the moment. Mm. He's a midfield three. Like obviously Jorginho was doing his piece, but. Kante's interceptions, there were so many moments in the, in the first half, I say so many, maybe three or four key moments where you literally saw the flow of play change just because he got a boot in first and then surged onto the break. I think I love about Kante that he's shown more and more to play it to, to fans in the, the last few seasons is a lot of people maybe typecast him as slightly a destroyer. Yeah, but completely as, as, wrong. But yeah, completely wrong. As a creator in the kind of broken field, as we can call it, so many times he makes decisions on the run that are great. And the one thing I would actually say, like, you know, obviously huge fan of Romelo Lukaku on this podcast. I would say the one thing that I was slightly, by his standards, I thought that his decision-making on the break at high speed was just maybe a, a notch below what it has been for Belgium and Inter, or even in the last game. So I think this game, but also I think that was, in a, that was also a sense of... Better opposition, maybe. Yeah, better opposition. There was one amazing moment when the ball gets crossed in. I think it was Reese James crosses it in from the flank. No, Alonso crossed the flank. And the way that Van Dyke dealt with it, Ryan, it was so, it was almost like contempt. He just chested it to mm. the fullback. And he was almost like, really? Like, is there, <laughs> you'll have to be a lot better than that to get in here. And I think that one thing Liverpool was so great at, the compression of space on the break, the moment the break began, there was like a small window and they shut it so fast. And, you know, Liverpool really looking back to, you know, a really good percentage of their efficiency of the previous season. Okay, so I mean, there were a couple of moments. I think with the Lukaku thing, there was actually a moment where Kai Havertz had a really, really good opportunity to play a one-touch pass through to him, which would have made it... 2-0, yes. Yeah, for 2-0. Yes. In the inside right position. It was, yeah. it was probably the only thing Kai Havertz really did wrong in that first half. There were a yeah, couple yeah. of things that... There were a couple of moments where Lukaku kind of got the ball trapped underneath his feet a little bit. I think that's what yeah, the, the inside left, about yeah, on the break. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In that first half, yeah, Liverpool had some chances and they had some yeah, some yeah. of the ball, but I thought that Chelsea looked just so. Hmm. The, no, it is. It's the the thing that makes it such a joy them such a joy to watch is just the fluidity of it. Every single player moving in sync, the way they play out from the back, the way you, I was, the way that they. I mean, for example, there was a great um, interplay between Mo Salah and um, Harvey Elliott in the right flank. And the interplay was great, but it was almost like there was no way through, straight way through. Like, and it was almost like Chelsea was saying, if you're going to beat us, you have to do so with superb execution. So there's a couple of great balls, diagonal balls that um, Alexander-Arnold played, but they had to be of the highest level. And mm -hmm. it would be easy to watch those and be like, oh my God, well, Liverpool opening up Chelsea. Well, no, it's because the level of precision necessary to shut them down. Like Harvey Elliott was playing superbly in the first half in particular, like his interplay, but it was almost like that, that right flank or Chelsea's left flank, it was almost like quarantine for Liverpool. Like it was very difficult for them to get out of that, of that space creatively. But I still felt having said that, it was like Chelsea make very, very good sides look containable. 
this is the thing with them. They make like Liverpool on a, against a different, against a slightly worse team. But I think it would have torn them apart. And this I, is a I, test. I, of, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, sorry to cut in, but I genuinely yeah. think Chelsea looked like, in terms of, I'll, I'll say like of the very, very elite yeah. level clubs, because I think there are some really, really well-coached clubs that were operating beyond the peak of their powers, lower down yeah. the tables and yeah. in various leagues around Europe. But I think in terms of say like Champions League level clubs, yeah. Chelsea look like the best coached side in Europe. Oh, I agree. Without, without, no, without question. Without question. Yeah. The funny thing was, I saw a few people commenting about this actually, how they looked against Liverpool, what Liverpool used to look like, say, against Man City. Maybe a year and a half. But I think Liverpool are returning to that. That's the thing. They're returning. Yeah, I think that I mean, yeah. this isn't to say Liverpool are done or anything. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that. I think no, of that course. The level of intensity and the you compare and contrast it to a lot of the criticisms that were aimed at Arsenal early on on Saturday about how just <laughs> how uncoached they look. Yeah. Now, ironically, Arsenal were more compact at 4-0 down than they were at 0-0. Yeah, true. And true. probably actually looked weirdly for half an hour at 4-0 down like they were like their best defensively for the entire game when City were in training mode. But Chelsea have this complete command, no matter the personnel. Yes. No matter the kind of game state, they have a complete command on the angles what are necessary to deal with whatever situation is on the, on the, on the pitch. And I think this, this showed in the second half, actually. So Rhys James gets sent off for the handball on the stroke of halftime. At first shout, I thought it was harsh. And I actually mm. tweeted about this. I was just like, you know, you didn't really need to give a red there. I think even a few of the Liverpool players were a little bit surprised because, mm. because it ricocheted up off his, off his leg. Yeah. And I watched it a couple of times back and it took me a while to actually really, really decide definitively. And I was just like, well, yeah. There are various interpretations of the law, but I think it's the movement of the arm, however, however quick it was, but the movement of the arm away out, almost like a scoop. I think it's yeah. the thing that, that makes it ascending off. It was funny because he'd actually saved the danger by then. It was weird. The reflexive. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. It was almost like, it was almost, the reason it felt harsh is because we saw him like, oh, the danger's passed. Why did he do, why did he flick his mm. arm out? He'd actually done the hard work. Mm. So it's one of those, like, I think we were chatting in the group about it, in the Wright's House group. And it was just like, mm. you know, even Mayowa was just like, yeah, he agreed. It was just like one of those that you kind of wish those weren't red. Yes, yes, yeah. It's, it happens so quick. It's not really like a, it's not a Luis Suarez on the line yes. moment, but it's one of those like, yeah, you really don't want it to be a red, but it's a red. Yeah. Especially for the game as well. It wasn't the kind of game that Rhys James was playing. It wasn't how the game was panning out as a whole. And it was almost like we knew when the red card happened that that was the end of it as that kind of spectacle. Yeah. But actually sense. stepping away from it and as, and as a complete neutral now that the game's done, and obviously we've had a bit of a time to bit of time to process it it actually added a really interesting dynamic element to the game yeah 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 because Chelsea probably could have been 2-0 up at that point should have been and then yeah. all of a sudden you're thinking okay it's 1-0 it's at Anfield it's back level an extra player this is it yeah Liverpool just like go through the gears yeah and then Thomas Tuchel makes two changes he yes, takes off very interesting. and he takes off Kai Harvers. and at first you're like what Yes, again, absolutely. The point I was making before about no matter the game state, no matter the personnel, the command of the angles on the pitch for what is necessary is off the charts with this Chelsea side. It's amazing. It's amazing. And if yeah. you look at what Chelsea, uh, what Liverpool created in the second half, 
I mean, they didn't really do anything. They had a lot of the ball, but their second half XG, for example, compared to their first half, obviously the first half includes the penalty, but it was two point, yeah. uh, 2.09. Second half, it was 0.71. It's the Chelsea, it's the press, isn't it? Someone, because they took off Kante, I think that was maybe an injury. Someone pointed out maybe it was the injury he picked up. Might have been the injury, yeah, but moved um, Thiago Silva into the centre-back position to yes. push Aspilicueta a little bit wider. And, and then, then Mount Kovacic basically had more basically, pressing. Yeah, and basically Kovacic was almost carrying the ball from danger. Yeah, which is a brilliant innovation, not innovation. It I mean, really well. Because well. Kovacic is, and I, I talked to Mara about this in the chat, Kovacic is someone who at times doesn't play the most how do I say this? It, it, it's part of how he's been playing. It's not that he doesn't have the skill set for it, but Kovacic, I've sometimes found slightly sort of a safety first in terms of his passing on the front foot. There's been times when the play is opening up and he doesn't hit the pass through the window before it closes. Mm. And that's the thing that I sometimes felt. But in terms of carrying the ball, I'm excited because he's always, to me, been a player who is supremely technical. And I mean, Maya knew that tendency of his to dribble like forward the whole time, but I hadn't really, so I don't watch Chelsea as much as Maya does, obviously. It's the Rudiger thing. It's when you see a player use a part of their skill set that you know they've kind of got there as a central part of their armor or their weaponry. Mm. And I love, I love that he did that. And I love that kind of, it's kind of bold, isn't it? Like mm. it's counterintuitive. Oh, we're going to get the ball and raid and make incursions. And I want to shout out as well in relation to this too, I want to shout out Mendy as well, because Mendy's performance in both halves, very different roles, I think in both gate in both halves more mm. of a shot stop in the second half. In the first half, the speed off his line and the high line he allows Chelsea to keep is really, really spectacular. So, yeah. I mean, just to, just to give a, you a sense of kind of what I was talking about before. So in the second half, this is according to Stat Zones, which I think uses Opta as their data. Yeah. Liverpool completed 331 passes, Chelsea 134. 159 of those were in the attacking third. So almost half of Liverpool's passes were in the attacking third in the second half. That's wild. 14 shots, six on target zero big chances. That's unbelievable. I, I think I tweeted, I said Chelsea's title credentials were actually even stronger in the second half than in the first. Do you know what Liverpool could have done with? What's that? Two minute extra ball power play. Oh no, you're pushing this agenda. <laughs> it's, 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 it's actually brilliant. A power ball. It's brilliant power actually. Power ball towards the cop. Are you kidding me? Imagine the atmosphere. Well, this is the thing as well. Like, you know, let's talk about the cop. The fact that like, Liverpool fans were in full cry for much of the game. And then there was almost a kind of, not a hesitancy, but like, whoa, this Chelsea team, we're throwing everything. We're, mm. we're throwing, ev and it was like, by the end, it was, it was still loud, but it was like, there was a respect there. There was always a respect, I think. But I think by the end of the game, it was like, this may be the biggest trouble we've got on our hands in the Premier League. I, I, I believe, and it was weird because when they won the Champions League, actually, I don't know if I said this at the time, but when they won the Champions League, I do remember thinking, it's funny how they, they've won this game and they kind of are, in my opinion, the best team in Europe, even without Lukaku. In terms of what they were doing and the way they hung everything together in that final, I was like, this is actually the just result. Do you know what I found really interesting was that two years in a row now, we've had Champions League winners who in November or October were miles away from being the best team in their division. Great shot. Who ended up becoming the best team in Europe by May. Yeah, great shot. Bayern the year before with Flick, Chelsea last season. Great shot. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? The momentum that it takes to become the best in Europe and what it takes to kind of battle hard in you. It's really fascinating. And it shows you, it shows you the importance of coaching. And this is something maybe yeah. we'll touch on in a little bit with Manchester United and, yes. and Arsenal. But I think maybe let's wrap up here with Liverpool because I think that 
Yes. Ultimately, I think a point each is a fair result. Yes, I think so. If Liverpool had created more opportunities with the possession that they had in that second half, I think that's the one thing they might have been a little bit miffed about Liverpool. Mm. However, it just shows you how supremely coached this Chelsea side is. Yeah. To deal with a number that. of different situations. And they have options now. I think what Tuchel has done really, really well is that he's taken something that was their biggest weakness and has turned it into their biggest strength in less than a year. It's incredible. With the same personnel. Yeah. Basically. And yeah, I don't think Klopp will be too unhappy with this result because I, it very, very easily, like Chelsea very easily could have, could have gone away with three points. Yeah. It's one of those points that looks better the longer the season goes on, mm. I think. Yeah. Mm. Do you want to quickly touch on Man City? Because yes, the thing I was saying before, the coaching example is something I want to touch on with Arsenal and also I want to touch on with Manchester United a little bit. And maybe even perhaps Spurs as well. In fact, before we do touch on Man City, let's touch on Spurs. Spurs are top of the league. It's worth pointing that out. Yes. <laughs> three wins in I three. Three one nils. The beautiful symmetry. Played three. Won three. Scored three. Conceded none. Yes. Three clean sheets in a row. And for Nuno to be top of the league already and to keep three clean sheets in a row before the international break, even though it may not be completely thrilling from Spurs, I can I, I think considering the, the massive Kane elephant in the room, a Kane elephant, yes. well, that yeah. sounds weird, but the Harry Kane saga, is it, it was a saga. Isn't there a band it? called Cage the Elephant, Kane the Elephant? Maybe. Yeah, Kane, yeah there's, there we go, Kane the Elephant. I think to manage Spurs... <laughs> top of the table going into the first international break is some really really good news for Spurs fans because I think since Poch left and the whole Mourinho f- fiasco it's been such a such a weird ride for Spurs fans and it's an easy target it's an, you know what it's easy to laugh at Spurs not for me because I've got a lot of respect for them as a club but, but for rival fans yeah for rival fans because they had this whole thing that was building and even you know, even even you know a moment of sympathy for Kane just a moment at the time when he signed that deal the club was going in a radically different direction and very different things were promised. And he had a reasonable expectation of things really stepping up. An expectation of investment. Poch was happy. You know, there's a lot of things that Kane thought were coming that didn't come. They didn't materialise, right? So I have some sympathy for him from that perspective. I still think that my majority of my sympathy is with Spurs fans only because of, they could have had their golden era with Pochettino and was snatched away from them. And so just to see them with these three wins and to see... Son coming up with big performances, which he's done so often, to see Deli Ali happier again. Mm. And to see maybe Kane going, do you know what? I'm staying here this year, but I could still do something quite exciting and interesting because the pressure's off, quite frankly. This is the thing for Spurs now. This is it's almost a free hit for them this season because people aren't expecting them to come up big. And if they really like keep building on that strong defensive performance and start getting the goals going, they could be an interesting proposition. Because there are other teams who don't have their defensive structure as set or sorted as Spurs do. Um, yeah, they're yeah. in a good position to build from, I think. Props to Nuno. Um, yeah, very much so. They replaced West Ham at the top of the table. <laughs> I love, can I just say, as West Ham, a little quick props to West Ham before we bounce. Like, I'm so happy for West Ham that they've continued the form, you know, the empty stadiums into the new stadium. I'm really, really delighted for them because I was just a little bit worried when the fans came back in, they wouldn't get to enjoy all the stuff they've been watching from a distance. Dude, Mikel Antonio is a Premier League top goal scorer and he's top for minutes per goal as well. 67. The next closest to him is Roberto Firmino on 81. We'd love to see it. Yeah, props to West Ham, two or draw. Props to Palace as well for getting a point there. 
Yeah. But let's talk about Man City quick. Back-to-back 5-0 wins, this time against Arsenal. Much like we mentioned last week about Chelsea beating Arsenal, it wasn't a statement victory for Manchester City. The thing that was a statement was it was Arsenal's biggest defeat in the Premier League since the 6-0 against Chelsea. Wow. And the funny thing is that Arsenal were actually really good for that opening, what, seven minutes? Yeah. But I, I forgive me, I can't remember who it was, but I saw someone write a couple of tweets about Arsenal and I thought it summed it up very, very nice. It's the thing is that like for a while now, actually, everything has to go right for Arsenal to score. But basically, not much has to go wrong for Arsenal to concede. I thought they were a little bit unlucky on a couple of points. I think the second yeah. goal, Laporte, he essentially punches Chambers in the face and Kolasinac got booked for one that was a lighter version of that a little bit later. And I know that it wasn't directly in the line of play, but it's in the penalty box and Callum Chambers is rushing towards his own goal to defend. It's a foul. Yeah. And the goal probably shouldn't have stood, I don't think. But right. in all honesty, I don't think it would have made the slightest bit of difference even if Laporte had been sent off. Which I'm not saying he should have necessarily because I'm, I mean, he might have done, but I don't know. It's one of those ones where it's almost, it's almost less painful because he knew that something else was coming. You knew there would have been other goals coming down the line. City weren't even that good against Arsenal. No. This isn't to take anything away from City, by the way. They didn't need to be that good. Granit Xhaka with a, a wild challenge that got sent off. It wasn't a million miles away from the Pogba one, except the fact that he flew in two-footed. That was the main difference. I think in terms of the actual contact. Yeah. It wasn't a million miles away. I mean, from that the was that one. wasn't that wasn't existential, Red. That was existential. Jackers. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, when are they not? When are they, when are they not? not? <laughs> Wait, That's true. D- uh, Granny well, Jacker is like the status quo of red cards. It's just like the same true. three chords. It's just he the was, same three chords. He was on a journey. You know the thing about your comment about City not playing that well. The Grealish assist was a classic example. He based <laughs> just advances unimpeded. You know, it's like when Alfonso Davies takes on Semedo. Mm. in the Champions League game, the 8-2, when Bayern beat Barca and everyone was just going wild. Oh my goodness. I was like, no, he basically just swiveled his hips once. And Semedo's confidence is so brittle at this point. It's like when you drop a crystal on one corner and it shatters into a million pieces. When a player has brittle confidence, a winger looks supreme. But what Davies did in that game wasn't that profound. And what Grealish did, you know, Grealish, you know, obviously great driving run, but he will have far harder, he will have far harder opposition when running baseline than he did in that game. He's playing well, and, it was, though, and he's looking he is, good. No, 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 don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Like he, it, was, it, was, it was more like in terms of you can't give Grealish that room. And Arsenal just gave tight. It was just, it was so, um, it was so tentative, Ryan, you know? Yeah, but dude, Arsenal are a mess. They've been a mess for ages yeah, and they continue yeah, to be a mess. Yeah. They're not going to finish bottom of the league. They're not going to go down. The Brentford one was the one that got away, but no one would have expected Arsenal to beat City or Chelsea. No, they no. would have liked to have at least scored a goal. Yes. I think I said it after the Chelsea game, adjusting expectations is absolutely key. It hurts like hell for sure, but you've got to do it. Otherwise it's going absolutely. to be a very, very long and a very, right. very, very pain- painful season. Just take the joy where you can, Arsenal fans. Take the joy where you can. But yeah, the difference, like we were saying before, Arsenal look like a side who are very much not being coached that well at the moment. There was an interesting conversation had about Manchester United away at Wolves after they scraped a 1-0 away mm. win. To to cement a, an away, a, an unbeaten away record in the Premier League, 28 games, mm. breaking Arsenal's Invincibles record. Mm. Manchester United are a funny one. Extremely confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, this is the thing. The thing about United having an amazing away record, they have an astonishing amount of speed and talent in the break and they're very good at improvising in the open field because they've got 
lots of very naturally gifted players, right, who make very good decisions on the fly. And some of them enjoy those decisions because when you're making decisions on the fly, you almost are like, you don't have to overthink it. So it's not that you're not making great decisions. It's more like you basically have to like stick or twist and it brings up the best in them in the free, you know, they, they love playing free like that. And when you come to like breaking down complex defenders uh, systems where a lot of these people are like, let's say, how do I say it? You look at Pogba and Fernandez to a greater extent, he's the most extreme example, but you know, Rashford as well. They are players who would rather like, they're hit and run type players. Mm where it's like they want to hit a killer pass. That's not a criticism of them per se. It's more like the way they are, right? So that profile of player is supremely well-suited to playing on the counter, which is why I think they do so well on the, on the road, away from home. And at home, when they basically play against teams that sit deep because it's Old Trafford, and Old Trafford, despite losing a lot of its aura in recent years, is still Old Trafford. Teams come to Old Trafford and we're like, okay, break us down. And United aren't so comfortable doing that. And yeah, they're, they're I think a really that, good side without the ball, United. Right, right. I think that I think that Solskjaer, or with little of it, I should say, and the the buccaneer spirit of Manchester United away from home actually is, it's the part of of of, of United with which I think Solskjaer is most in tune. Right, that's the energy with which he is most in tune. But actually, unfortunately, as we saw, get on this game very much a little bit later. But PSG against Rams, for example, when when PSG play against a team that sits deep and they don't have yet a complex attacking structure, how to break down complex defences, they look quite ponderous. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, United's final hurdle, if that makes sense. And that will be their final hurdle in the league, for example. It's the thing that will stop them, I think, going beyond Chelsea, City and Liverpool consistently. In a one-off game, absolutely. But cons- over the course of a league season, you have to have, like, what's that, that Guardiola thing about having 15 passes to get into the final third or whatever? You need to have that level of intricacy. And I, I still believe that United are, I, I still believe they're a cut below that. I have to say, I, I think they're a cut below that. Well, they've got Cristiano Ronaldo on the way. They do. I was mentioned at the top of the show about a content warning. There might be a mention about sexual assault allegations. It's just a heads up. So if you want to skip forward to the next time code, if you don't want to listen to this bit. I'm trying to be, okay, so let me, how do I say it? So I've thought about this a lot in the last couple of days. I haven't said much online, but thinking about it, what I was going to say. And I think it's like this. When I saw Cristiano Ronaldo at the Euros for Portugal, he proved me wrong in the best footballing sense in that I always wondered whether him being at the peak of the attack, having seen him at the Euros 2016, I was wondering if him at the peak of the attack wouldn't work with him at the spearhead because I'd seen him at Juventus and it almost felt like he kind of drew too much of the attacking onus to himself and that made Juventus less effective. But leading the line with, with Portugal and the speed he had around him after Diego Jota actually decided to pass the ball, it worked really well. And I was really impressed, but I thought, you know what? He's still, he's extremely fast. He leads as a spearhead. And with that pace around him, they could do something quite dangerous. So seeing him in that context, seeing him sign for United, I actually think, funnily enough, tactically, I think he can be the spearhead United need surrounded by that amount of speed. I do think that can work actually for United tactically. So from a footballing perspective, in terms of like a two-year injection of talent and then like he's supremely fit and Cavani will return and Greenwood will come through, I actually think it's, as a footballing perspective... He'll command so much attention as well from defences. I think like a coach on a pitch, I think tactically, I think that works and I think it can actually work for United really well. It could yield a lot of goals. Now, here's the thing, Ryan. When you make a huge signing for a football club, 
there's that. It's a telltale euphoria. Like there's, you can't fake your reaction. If it's joyful, it's joyful. It's not. And some people will have felt joy, but I didn't feel joy because I have followed the Catherine Mayorga sexual assault allegations very, very closely. And, you know, both of us read Der Spiegel. We know its reputation in Germany. It's a, it's got a superb reputation of investigative work. And the allegations are so detailed and so specific and so, the, the, the reporting is so nuanced, Ryan. Mm-hmm. And I, I would challenge very anyone. very exhaustive. Yeah, they're extremely exhaustive. And, you know, I, I would just encourage anybody who's listening to this and just going, oh, well, just please read the, please read that Der Spiegel piece. Yeah, we're not here to tell fans how to think or feel Absolutely. about a signing. The only thing that I wanted to say from that was it was extremely disheartening. The day after Benjamin Mondi was remanded in custody, charged with four counts of rape, one sexual assault, and also breaking his bail conditions earlier this month. He's been suspended by Manchester City pending an investigation. Yeah. To barely see a mention of it in the mainstream press, a very, very, very serious thing that is still ongoing. If you are going to assess this signing as just football, I at least will be like, okay, you're compartmentalizing this. I can see that. But when you are making bolder, broader moral claims, when you're coming out as some journalist did and some football figures in football said, this is bigger than the on the pitch. I was like, okay, if you're saying that, and some people came out and said that, I said, okay, if you're forcing me to look beyond what happened on the pitch, if we're going to go there because you took it there, let's really go there. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the major black mark against his managerial legacy, in my opinion at the moment, no matter what he achieves for United, he's achieved so much for United as a manager. He's restored so much of the aura, the faith, the joy. He absolutely has. The one major black mark, I have to say, the concern I know exactly is his, what you're hand- his handling of the sexual assault allegations against Bubakar Saar when Saar was playing for Mulder mm. at the time of recording this podcast. Saar is still wanted by the Norwegian authorities in relation to these assault allegations and Interpol. So this is not a well-handled situation. Now, if, if we're talking about someone being a fantastic person and all the rest of it, if we're talking about character, okay, what is in the public domain gives us pause for thought. And so I, I'm, just, I'm just a bit, and the reason I say this, Ryan, is because there are individuals on social media, there are writers, there are journalists, people I have great respect for their work, what they've done to this point, pundits, all the rest of it. And it just concerns me that it was almost like, like, like you say, there's no, um, someone wrote, I, I wrote on Twitter and I, I made a comment about this in passing and someone wrote to me and said, oh, don't be such an effing buzzkill. And I replied and I said, how about I tweet what I like and you tweet what you like? And I think that's what this is really about. For me, it's more like I will, you know, over the course of this season, United will obviously have great breakout attacking performances of which Cristiano Ronaldo will be at the centre. And I will comment on those with regard to, you know, the tactical outlook and how the game looked. But I just wanted to put this down and say, this is just how I feel about this overall. You know, we were aware of it at the time. We talked about it together at the time. We read up on everything and we still talk about Cristiano Ronaldo as a footballer because this guy is an unbelievable footballer, one of the greatest footballers of all time. But to return to Manchester United, the club that he kind of broke through as a superstar, I think in terms of a narrative and story is unbelievable. However, I don't think it's really hard for people to acknowledge the stuff that's gone off, gone off the field because one of the major things about Stadio for us is that our belief in terms of football fandom is that it's, it shouldn't just be for one demographic. You know, I'm a straight white guy. It's not, the game isn't just for me, it's for everyone. I think there is a huge proportion of the fan base that will have seen some of the coverage from 
very, very well-established outlets and professionals, especially the day after the news yes. broke about Benjamin Mundy. Yes. And will have really, really felt like this game isn't for me. Like my fandom isn't, isn't, isn't as appreciated here. And I think the thing is you can totally have both. Like, again, just to clarify, you know, we're not telling anyone how to feel about Cristiano Ronaldo, the signing. Yeah. If I was a Manchester United fan, from a footballing point of view and from a kind of like story point of view in terms of, you know, the kind of returning to the club and the whole loan thing, it'd be an amazing signing for sure. But like, you can, you can talk about both. You can acknowledge both. It doesn't mean that you're, we're at, we're, yeah, shitting exactly. on his yeah, yeah. footballing legacy or anything like that. But I think just to, to pretend it's not even there or it's not even going on, I think it's just really weird. I agree with that. And I, I'm really glad that um, we've just put that down like that because that's exactly how I feel. And I feel like almost, I do feel detachment, I have to say. And I think this is the thing. And just to sort of, before we go to the next bit, um, well, not, not, not close. I feel like with Stadio, it's like, we all have things in football where we, you know, we, we, we look at stuff and we're like, okay, there's that part of the game that I don't like, but I'll celebrate this bit. And I think it's just, I guess I'm just trying to like encourage myself and maybe others that listen to this and uh, just to hold that complexity actually. Right. Yeah, dude, dude, like, this some, is, some, this some, is, some of my, some of the players I love the most, Jabby Alonso just recently had to go to Madrid to sort out some tax fraud, like tax dodging stuff. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? No. Oh, but like I had yeah. to sit with that. I had to sit yeah. with that. But, you know, Lionel Messi did the same thing. Cristiano Ronaldo also did a t- had a tax thing. I mean, basically everyone who's kind of played for Barcelona or Real Madrid, it seemingly has gone to court or something <laughs> about tax stuff. It's like when, when we find out something about, like, a musician we really love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it yeah. can be really complex kind of dealing with people that we idolise in a sporting sense, but maybe we're not so wild about the stuff off the pitch at all or we actually really actively dislike a lot of the stuff off the pitch at all, but it's the things on the pitch, which is what creates the idolization. It's the same yes. with music. It's like we, we might never ever know what some of our musical heroes were like, pers- like in their personal lives, but what we idolize is the thing that we listen to, yes. you know, that they created. And it's like, it's hard, man. And it's really hard. And I do actually, I'm not like trying to cop out here, but I do understand why fans don't want don't to go there. But what I'm saying is I think that there are a hell of a lot of people who are just as much as football fans as you are, who will be left really, really, really cold, potentially really, really upset, or have some kind of trauma of their own massively unearthed again or, or resurfaced based on a brazen ignorance of an issue that has been going on for a little while and it hasn't gone away completely yet. And I just think that acknowledging that goes a long, long way and it doesn't have to impact on your idolization of the individual in a sporting sense. I agree with all of that. I want to just put down one final point on this, just from my side. That thing you mentioned about people watching how this is treated in relation to traumas they may not speak of. This is crucial. Now, people watching the response to this, and there'll be people who responded to this, this news, this signing, who'll be like, wow, it's amazing. Just ignore all the nuances we just talked about, about the allegations, all the rest of the very detailed allegations and all the rest of it. They'll swap that aside. There are people who would have experienced sexual assault, harassment, trauma, quietly watching you, and you'll be unaware of their trauma. They'll be thinking, oh, so you're someone I can never tell about this. And years later, it'll be like, oh, you should have told me. It's like, well, no, that's how you reacted to it. You swatted it aside. And I specifically want to mention the type of individual who is looking at allegations from one club and gloating because it was that player going, oh, how terrible, 
when it came to their own club, they were like, oh no, it's fine. Almost in the same like few hours. And yes, we're football fans full time, but that doesn't, I think, allow us to park things that are profound at the door. There are some things that like, you know, I know we come to football to escape. I know we come to football to escape into another world. And I get it. I, I'm the same, right? There are some things that we can't, we can't close off. I think there are some things we can't consistently ignore. All we're asking, dude, is yeah, yeah. for people who are professionals at covering the game and outlets that are covering the game. They're going to pollute our timelines with really, really crap photoshops. <laughs> right? At least deal with the whole legacy. Yeah, 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 yeah. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was... A kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. Side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, speaking of crap photoshops, Lionel Messi made his debut for PSG on Sunday night against... Oh my gosh. Rans. Oh no. Bit of a non-event all in all. Mbappe was the main story, getting a brace. Yeah, I, I said this, I mean, I've said this before, and you know... We had a bit of a chat and I said, well, I, I won't, I wonder and worry about this only because you see Mbappe for France, even when he's not scoring, he, as we say in basketball, he creates spacing because his movement and his, even when he's not scoring, he stretches the place so much that he allows people like Benzema room to operate. Mm -hmm. And you lose Mbappe. There was talk of like, we replace him. You don't replace Mbappe. You don't, you're not going to do it. You have to reconfigure the attack. And just that extreme thrilling dribbling at high speed. And when Mbappe is on, actually there's a run he made for the second goal, which is basically a tap in, but the run he made was so beautiful and so direct. The way that he understood Hakimi was going to play that ball. And actually his thing, a lot of strikers right, wouldn't have got to that ball at the far post. They wouldn't have because it came past two people. It's a quite a steep run. But Mbappe was so smart. He was so quick in mind as well as feet that it looked like a really easy tap in. Hakimi's uh, I, very good at building relationships with strikers. I love it. I love a fullback. Like we stand a fullback who can supply um, a striker. It's like the Danny Alves type thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Knowing the ball to play at the tip of the attack, the tip of the final third. But yeah, Mbappe looks superb and he'll be such a major loss because in his absence, who is the spearhead of the attack? That's the question, isn't it? Mauro Icardi, mate. Yeah. Now, Icardi is a really, really good player. I wonder if his confidence is slightly knocked by the experience on the Tuchel. 
Um, he is, you know, he's an out and out conventional nine, but he'll have to reconfigure. And as, as, you know, as, as fantastic a player he is, it is a downgrade from Mbappe. And I think it means that, I suppose this is the point you made. You said it might actually, if you take out a piece like Mbappe, it allows them more of a team. It might turn I them finally, into more of a team. Yeah, it might, it might allow them to actually be coachable a little bit more. And that's not develop, on Mbappe, yeah. by the way. It just means you could, I think you could take any one of those out. They'll have to develop more complex attacking systems without Mbappe, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if this side lines up against Chelsea in the semi-finals of the Champions League, Chelsea, I, I back Chelsea over two legs. I just do. And that's the thing, even though as great as the talent, the raw talent is, this is obviously what we're witnessing right now. Yeah. If Pochettino can coach the side heavy this season and they look good, but so much of what Tuchel has done, for example, at Chelsea comes from the, the importance of the front three, the front three's movement in a defensive sense. Yes, I just don't yes. think you get that from PSG. You just no, don't. No, 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 you, don't, don't, you, don't. you really don't. You, you really, really don't. don't. So, but you never know. That might that they them in an attacking sense might be enough enough to get you out of trouble. And that's before you've even added Di Maria into that. So, can I say this? Is, yeah, sorry to no, no, no is, go for it. Is Marquinhos the winner of the Mark Carrick Award for so underrated that they're rated? Because oh, no, people who've known people who've known about Marquinhos are known for time. But what? But no, but I want to know what the deal is. Like, why has no one absolutely broken the back? He must be supremely happy. Why in would Paris. he? Why would he go? He's the captain. Yeah, he, he's so must be so happy. No, he's fine. He's I'm just, I'm just, just, just the United. He'll end, up, just he'll United. end up somewhere like Real Madrid or somewhere like that again. He's just amazing, isn't he? Marquinhos is ace, so, man. He's, he's great. So he's so good. So good. So good. But yeah, a couple for PS, uh, couple for Mbappe got the win for PSG. Rans had the ball in the net for After 50 one minutes, all, yeah. but it was offside, mm. unfortunately. I say unfortunately because that would have been quite a spectacle. That would have been set up then for Messi to come on at 1-1 and the narrative would have been massive. Yep. Took Neymar off though. So uh, everyone who had built that team on Football Manager was, uh, was yeah. kicking themselves. Elsewhere quickly in Liga though, it's fun, fun time. Marseille are looking fun. Uh, <laughs> bouncing <laughs> back from the absolute gnarliness of last week to uh, beat St. Etienne 3-1. I want Marseille to do something this year. Nice are up there as well. It's Christophe Gautier, man. Uh, is he going to take Nice to the Champions League? I well, I don't see why not. I mean, to win the league with Lille and then go to Nice and then take him to the Champions League, I think is unbelievable in the back-to-back it's years. A, having a look at that Nice squad, he's got good pieces there. I think it would still be a very, very good achievement. I'd be, it'd be supreme. It wouldn't be as impressive as winning the league, but it would be what he would have done would have been dragging Nice out of the pack, which is pretty impressive, and leapfrogging Marseille. Mm-hmm. And Marseille, I think, I think Marseille do have better pieces. That, well, they've got better balance than Nice. So yeah, yeah, it would be a big shout. I think back to back, that would be impressive. Big test for PSG next though, after the international break. They play Clermont Foot. They had a good, they've had some good results actually. Yeah, yeah, they were quite good. Dude, they're third. They're third <laughs> after four games. Played uh, one, and Angers second. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, Liga is a must watch this season. You know what's funny? The way, can I sh- shout out to Rance, the way they pressed in the first half was super impressive actually. Yeah, it was pretty good. Like, it's all these things that what I love about um, Liga. What I love about Liga is every time a team plays PSG, they identify like a different weakness, and you know there's a coach somewhere making a little sort of scrapbook, going that works and that works, and at some point they're going to put it all together in a performance. And that's what's quite exciting about Liga. It's almost like the coaching is really good. They don't always have the pieces, but the coaches are good enough to identify weaknesses in the Giants, which is why the league was really exciting last year. Yeah, because you had like really like fit teams with good coaches who didn't have the best like technical resources, but they were quite wily. Mm. 
So Raz actually, they hung with PSG pretty well, I've got to say. Like, yeah, they did, man. They didn't yeah, they get did, blown yeah. away. No, not at all. Not at all. They should be proud of that. Uh, there was a moment though, about 32 minutes into the first half when I did have a, another thought about the the two ball power play. The two balls. Yeah. <laughs> if if that yeah. rule had been active, I think there would have been two balls on the pitch for like 14 minutes so far. For 14 yeah, of the 30, maybe. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, elsewhere in France, Division One started this weekend. Wins for PSG and Lyon. Uh, the two big, big players in the league for on the opening weekend. It was also the opening weekend in the Frauen Bundesliga. Big wins for Bayern and also Wolfsburg winning. We'll touch on more of the Frauen Bundesliga throughout the season yeah. because you know we love that league. Yeah. Let's quickly go to Italy because Serie A is looking good this season. Milan winning 4-1 against Cagliari. Uh, Olivier Giroud got two. I like that. I, I said this before. I like Giroud at the top of the line for Milan because he, he knits it all together. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of these fluid playmakers behind like Bram Diaz. I think like Tonali, Diaz. Um, and and t- Tonali is due a good year. Yeah. I think Tonali took a while Liao to bed in, well. but he got, he got one the other day. Yeah, he got one. Um, yeah, Liao's great on the break too. They've got some really nice pieces. I think Milan, Milan is strong. I still think Inter exciting and Lazio too. Lazio have come out flying. Sari's mm, Lazio, uh, Lazio are looking good, man. 6-1 over Spezia on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, Atalanta drawing with Bologna. No goals yeah, for Atalanta. Yeah, yeah. And Inter came behind against Hellas Verona to win on Friday. Wacken um, Carrera looking good. Yep, yep. But also Roma 4-0 against Salernitana on Sunday night. Tammy Abraham got his first goal for Roma and it was a beauty. Yes. What a goal. Um, he he's also is- heavily involved in the the Veritu goal as well. Mkhitaryan, they've got a great, yeah. their understanding. Him, him and Mickey look good, huh? Together. Yes, they, yes. Because we saw against Fiorentina, it was there. Yeah. Do you know, I have to say as well, um, Abraham, I, I think I said this in the chat, he's got a fan favourite just written all over him. I mean, he could be a legend there. Like he could, Dude, honestly. They already love him, it's oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it's the, you know what I love about it? It's like the fluid, the thing about Mourinho attacks, right? Jose Marino is not someone who really overcoaches the forward line. If you're efficient, he allows you to improvise. This is the thing with Mourinho. People misunderstand him. He's not anti-attack. He's anti-inefficient attack. If you basically go forward and create at a high rate of efficiency and create high quality chances, he hasn't got a problem with it. You'll never hear from him again. And the configuration of Mkhitaryan, who obviously he wasn't the, fa- the biggest fan of, Mkhitaryan, Veritu and Abraham have got such a great attacking triangle already you can just leave them to get on with it. And mm. you, you saw you saw with Tammy Abraham and it was at the, the beginning of the second half when he basically like knocked the ball around one person against Fiorentina and ran around the other side. Like, this man is reaching to his bag already. And he's in his bag now. This finish, this one-touch finish, it's like a kind of, it's like some Jean-Pierre Papin type finish, like old school, you know, to be like top of the box, just, you know, like when you see a finisher who's locked in. And the yeah. one thing with Tammy Abraham, the one, the one thing that everyone was concerned about was, can he get locked in with the finishing? It's very early days, but if he can continue with this confidence, I, I'm very excited for him and for Roma, to be honest. Uh, Juve lost at home to Empoli 1-0. That's a bad but result for no, Juve. It's, yes, it's a bad result, but it was foreshadowed. Last week against, was it Lazio, I think, who beat them 3-1. They were really good, Empoli, in that game. They were really aggressive, pressing high up. They were real trouble. That was the same thing they came with against Juve. They were like, you know, nearly promoted. And they're like, we're here and we don't care. We're going at your necks. And the thing about that is, obviously, Juve in a slight turmoil because they've lost Cristiano Ronaldo. They were kind of sitting ducks, actually, 
like in, you know the, they'd lost him literally a couple of days before hadn't been to training said his goodbyes and then they had to play Empoli and Empoli were pretty much one of the last teams if you had to name a few teams they wouldn't want to play Empoli could have been in the top 5 simply because the way that they pressed mm. particularly in the first half against Lazio they deserved more so you, they came out in this game with a bit between their teeth so yeah this was they're going they're going to surprise more people this year Empoli I think you got to be careful, Juve, though, because yeah. of the because of how many sides are now looking good in Serie A. Yes, you know, last season was a massive scare for them. Obviously, they didn't win the league yeah. for the first time in nearly a decade. Lazio, Inter, Roma, Milan, and Napoli, Napoli are Napoli already five points ahead of them after two games. Yeah, they need to be careful if they if they don't start picking up results. I think they have when they come back from the international break, they have Napoli away, uh, the Champions League. And then Milan at home. This is the thing, and these things. This also these teams have got scores to settle, and they're rejuvenated. Lazio and are people rejuvenated. don't fear them anymore. I don't think it's a tough. It's a tough ask for Allegri this year, you know, yeah, yeah. which is weird considering the squad depth that they have. But they need to figure something out because it's a little bit disjointed and all over the place. I think, but you never know. We're, you know, I mean, you know I'm early days. To. Early days in Serie. Rome derby. Rome derby is is tasty again. Do you know what it I'm looking forward to? I'm taste- looking forward. I'm looking forward to Jose going to San Siro to play Inter. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to Jose going to the Alliance to play uh, Juve. Yes, after his last year, after he did at United. It's like fingers to the lips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Let's quickly do La Liga because two wild, wild endings in La Liga this Sunday. Cadiz 2, Osasuna 3. Cadiz were 2-1 up going into stoppage time at the end of the game. And then... A Roberto Torres penalty in the first minute of stoppage time equalised for Osasuna and then David Garcia scored in the fifth minute of stoppage time to secure a wonderfully dramatic away win for Osasuna. Um, which then Atleti and Villarreal, after basically writing off the first half, <laughs> decided to all of a sudden all spring into life in the second. Villarreal going one lot, Suarez equalising for Atletico and then Villarreal taking the lead with a quarter hour to go with Arnaut Danjuma. And then a weird, weird own goal from Mandy in the fifth minute of stoppage time salvaged a point for Atleti. La Liga's already on one. No one with 100% record after three games. La Liga's back, isn't it? Did it ever go away? You know, I said we got a four-team title race this season. At the moment, we've got a legit seven-team title race. (laughs) Real Madrid, Sevilla, Valencia, Barcelona, Atleti, Mallorca on their return, remember. Uh, and Real Sociedad. Can I say and, that uh, Sevilla are looking quite tasty, actually? You, know, and you, did, you did say them start the season. Sevilla looking good, man. They really are looking good, like in terms of there's a solidity there. And you know what else are looking actually pretty good are Bordalas' Valencia. Yeah. Beat Getafe, his old club, on the opening day of the season, 1-0. Drew with Granada away, which probably isn't a dreadful point at this stage of the season. And then um, beat Alaves 3-0 on the weekend. And I mean, Signs they actually go life. to Osasuna next. Signs and then. But then they've got this run of games where they face like Real Madrid at home, Sevilla away, Athletic Club at home in, back to, in three, in three Listen, weeks. And the Bernabeu beast is stirring. Well, it's actually in the space of a week, those games, because there's a midweek round of La Liga games when they return after the international break. Goodness. Let's talk about the Bundesliga super quick before we bounce, because right on Wrighty's house last week, yes. me and me were talking to Wrighty and we were talking about what you're looking forward to this week and you're just like, Wrighty was like, there's only one place. There's a, oh, you know, you know what I'm looking forward to. And I was like, is it Dortmund Hoffenheim on Friday? 
<laughs> Ryan Munich over here. Ryan, Ryan Munich. Munich, the Hundesliga. Hundesliga, that's genius. Given his kind of proper Bundesliga propaganda, what a game. It was amazing. I'm so happy for Dortmund that they get a win like this because Hoffenheim have been trouble for them and Kramaric especially. And almost like just, there was something so symbolic watching. So obviously Dortmund win 3-2, a late mm. thrilling winner. So Dortmund get goals from Reiner, Bellingham and Holland, the winner. Yeah, so Reiner scored on the day that he became the youngest player ever to, to play 50 Bundesliga. And a glorious finish too. A lovely goal, yeah. Great, I mean, a great assist. It was from Bellingham, I think. Yeah, who then got the second. Uh, and Bellingham just... I didn't text you, so I, I thought I'd say it for the podcast. What I love about this, Ryan, the friendship between Bellingham and Holland is obviously so close. And I love, I love this. I just love it, like just on and off the field, the way he talks about him, the way he talks about each other. Like, I just love that connection. There's something about Bellingham where, you know, when you see players like go to Borussia Dortmund, and you're like, this is definitely a step. There's something about, the, I, maybe it's just because he's young and he's kind of, a big club and just handling it. There's something about Bellingham that's just like, if you told me, for example, if I was like Captain America and I went to sleep for 70 years and I woke up and I was just like, what happened to Jude Bellingham? And they were like, and someone was just like, oh, he, he stayed at Dortmund until he retired. I'd be like, huh. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, I was like, oh, he became the new cap. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's future... <laughs> If I've ever seen a guy that was future Dortmund Literally. captain energy. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he's the new cap. Like I look at him and just think, this is sound like a horrible comparison, but it's like when, I'm going to say it, when Del Piero went to Juventus and it's like taking the stage, you've just succeeded Baggio and you have all this pressure, but Del Piero just walked in, started at LP and was like, I got to work. Mm-hmm. And Bellingham has just stepped into past every test. He's and just, he's, he's just stepped into it. And he's just, what I love about his game is, it comes naturally, doesn't force it. Like he plays on his tempo, his pace. And this game, I think um, the reason it was a great win for Dortmund, you know, it was just three points. But I think in terms of what Hoffenheim have been for them in current, you know, uh, the last few games and Kramaric has done, there was a really significant moment. Kramaric has thrown goal. And I think Kobel, Kobel who I've been really impressed by, mm. a great stop. I thought, I, I thought to myself, I thought, you know what? There's just something about the presence and the way that you've stopped someone who is such a threat that just feels, just this one moment, it feels significant. It feels like, you know, Dortmund are going to have like difficult results throughout the season because it's a competitive league and it, yeah. we'll see, we'll see so many more turns. But I like to see them answering questions about character like this. Quick shout for Stefan Baumgart, who's doing a really good job at Köln. They beat Bochum 2-1 on yeah. the weekend. Uh, and we've got a shout out man. Well, hey. yeah, mine's bounced back from the, the, the slip up last week. Yeah. I mean, I am a, I'm a big Bose Fenson stan. So yes, you are indeed, yeah. Yeah, I'm waiting to drop my bootleg merch. Bose Fenson. Wenn du ein Problem hast, dann rufen wir an. Might do it in partner with Gagan Presser because they did the better call Bex thing. Get him to do the better call Bo thing. So good. Let's talk about Robin Lewandowski. Hat trick on the weekend in Bayern's 5 0 demolition of Hertha. Hertha gonna Hertha. Struggling already under Pal Dardai. They are bottom of the league. Quick shout for Union Berlin just because how to win the Europe, Europa Conference League and then um, playing in the, in the Olympia Stadion. Yeah, yeah, which is several friends of mine, Union fans, very much enjoyed. Like, oh, we've come to a stadium and filled it up. They very much enjoyed that. Who, who would have thought that it would be Union 
when Union came up that they would be playing European football at the Olympia Stadion before her. <laughs> it's just... That's troll level. It's troll level. I mean, and people were, yeah. Union yeah. fans have not been quiet about that. But yeah, and great win over, over Gladbach. Gladbach. Yeah. yeah. And then also, finally, Wolfsburg doing the most Wolfsburg thing. Oh, that's so funny. Wolfsburg, I just... Well, Rafa Honigstein had a really good tweet about this saying, uh, <laughs> in Germany, the Wolves were dreadful, but won. In England, the Wolves were great, but lost. Football, eh? Or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that is... Wolfsburg have this ability to just climb, especially early in the season, they just quietly float to the top, don't they? That's so funny. Everyone's going to watch Wolfsburg all season and be like, I can't figure out what they're trying to do here. Oh my God, they're dreadful. And they'll come second. And Mark Van Bommel will just be like, you're going like Kung Fu kick someone in the press box. <laughs> something like that. Do you know what I mean? But that's a big win over Leipzig. They, they it's a Leipzig. massive win. A second defeat in three games for Jesse Marsh. And um... <laughs> the thing about Wolfsburg is it's just their defensive midfield access and defensive line is just incredibly rigid. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're steady. So yeah, another big weekend of football. Yes, very and much so. And now we go into the men's international break. So we're going to do a, what we're doing on Thursday, Musa. Do you want to tell them? The untweetable 11? The untweetables. The players that you just cannot tweet about without yes. your mentions turning into an absolute shit show. That'll go up on Thursday. Don't forget to check Righty's House on Wednesday morning. That'll go up. Carl Anker, his debut for the season, and Mayowa. In the meantime, hope everyone's staying safe. Well, getting vaccinated yeah. if you can. Check theringer.com forward slash soccer. Check Stadio on Twitter, Stadio Football on Instagram. If you're in London this week, Friday, go and check Righty and Musa at Classic Football Shirts. Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify. And on that note, we are playing out with the one, the only, Lee Scratch Perry, sadly passed away on Sunday. Uh, this one's called Give Thanks to Jar. Anything you want to add, Musa? I think when such a great passes, we've got to just leave the last words and notes to the great Mr. Perry. Sorry, I have nothing further, Your Honour. May he rest in peace. Here, here. Much love, everyone. Stay safe and well, and we'll be back on Thursday. See you then. Praise the Lord God, your Rastafari, King of kings and Lord of lords. Conquering Lord of the tribe of Judah. Root of David, bread and morning star, light of the world. Give thanks to Jah, the king of creation. Dance to Jah, the king of vibration. Yeah. Give thanks to Jah, who reigned in Zion. Yeah. Give thanks to Jah, the conquering lion. Yeah. Give thanks to Jah. The king of Iration Give thanks to him who alone do it Great wonders Hey
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 